Hey there, welcome to Why We Roll, a tabletop role-playing game design podcast. We're your hosts, Chris Pickett, creator of the historical fantasy game Dance Macabre, and Wythe Marshall, creator of the political sci-fi game Stillfleet. Throughout the show, Chris and Wythe hope to amplify new creative voices. We'll chat with different TTRPG designers focusing on the world of indie games. We take a curious approach to game design, working through a range of mechanical and narrative questions that are pertinent to many designers, players, and GMs. We hope to showcase fresh and even challenging ideas about what makes imagination-based games just so powerful. Okay, let's find out why we roll. And we're live All right. with uh, Ethan Gouldini. Yeah, right. What's up, Ethan? How you do? All right, I'm all right. Um, hey, everybody. Uh, Chris, you wanna, do you want to do a little intro of why we roll the show? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, welcome. Welcome back, hopefully, to why we roll. Uh, we're here recording, talking about tabletop role-playing games, uh, the mechanics, the, the games themselves, why we make them, uh, what brings us to them. And yeah, today on the show, we have uh, Ethan Gouldini, who is an illustrator and also a games writer, as I understand. Ethan Gould, good friend of mine. Uh, I really appreciate, um, you know, working with you over the years on many projects, but I know you're a big game person, a game aficionado, and you knew I was into RPGs, but it wasn't actually until um, more recently, still several years ago now, but that we started working together on RPGs. Thought I'd have you on. I feel like we have so much to talk about. Chris is also, uh, you know, an artist and medievalist. Uh, so I thought the three of us could have a great conversation about, you know, what makes good or bad or interesting or whatever RPG art and questions about genre. Those are sort of two big topics. But um, before we dive into any of that, Ethan, do you want to just sort of talk about your background, what you're up to, um, you know, um, give folks a sense of who you are? Sure. Um, my name is uh, Ethan Gould. I often go professionally as Ethan Gouldini. Um I'm an illustrator and a writer. I usually just use the blanket term artist to just cover all the things. Um, yeah, my, my, primary, my primary interest is mostly um, in the sort of, I guess, when something is a symbol or when something is just a bunch of lines on the page, they kind of are basically the same thing in a drawing. And I'm really, really interested in that moment when the brain goes, aha, yes, I know what that object is. And like how much can I get away with confusing that up until that moment of clarity. Um, I really, really like genre fiction a lot. Um, a lot of my illustrative output um, these days is genre fiction. It's sci-fi. Um, it's fantasy. And like over the past couple of years, I've sort of had a, re a renewed interest in, in those interests, which were very near and dear to my heart uh, growing up. Um, I talk uh, with family a lot about how these days, um, sci-fi and fantasy have a huge resurgence and like a renewed popularity in mainstream. And, you know, I am both very gratified in the sense that like so many people are interested in seeing art and like reading stuff about that these days. And I'm also insanely jealous of them that like children growing up today just get to have all of it and not have it be sequestered in a friend's basement. You know, there's that that seediness of, of the original material and the experience right. of, of having it back in the in the 80s and 90s feels very different than it does today presumably um and i think that's interesting too yeah i i definitely share that sentiment with you where it's just like oh it's it's fine to it's fine to engage with nerd culture now um but when i was you know 12 13 trying to get friends to play dungeons and dragons and you know i grew up in north texas so they were they thought it was devil worship 
kind of stuff uh, back in the day. Yeah, yeah, you had to do it in the basement. You had yeah, to like, you had to hide that stuff away. It's not fair. <laughs> yeah, that, that 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 additional religiosity charge is one that I'm I've only heard about. Um, that sounds super intense. Um, <laughs> yeah. But again, add, adds an extra clandestine charge to your thing. I guess I don't know. Yeah. So what I can you tell us a little about your background? Um, you know, as an artist, both writer, illustrator. Uh, I know you also make really cool. You have made really cool puppets and designed lots of sets and done many other things, voice acting. So, uh, what are some other things you've worked on? Uh, and maybe that leads into TTRPGs, or we can do a separate. You know, how you and I started working together. Thing. Yeah. So I first moved to New York City a, a trillion years ago. Um, uh, my initial background was in a lot of other things. Um, I went to school initially for science and decided that was not my cup of tea. So I moved over um, into literature. Unfortunately, um, you know, across from the neuroscience and physics department at the University of Rochester was a really lovely um, English department. So taking one of the underground chambers in this frozen world, um, you know, also a very charming building. Um, so I started um, concentrating in uh, English literature and film theory. And um, I sort of fell in love with uh, medieval fiction, um, especially the Breton Lays and all of this really just sort of like whatever the wildest and weirdest like tales that were that were told and like the really weird complicated politics of how they were exchanged between cultures and, and different classes and how miraculously it still survives today. So you can read about like basically, you know, the 12th century's version of anime where people's horses are exploding underneath them as they're leaping, <laughs> fighting for 20 hours and getting into uh. weird, complicated romances with fake courts. And I never really sort of love, I like never lost that sort of like love for it. Um, it's sort of very grateful to go to school at a time period when it was like, oh yeah, this is all, you know, it, like whether whether it's like the doggerels or whatever from a certain time period, it's all on the table, everything, all of it. So like being able to write coachingly about, oh, this DuckTales episode that is about King Arthur's court. And what does that mean for <laughs> like getting, getting like story transmission, blah, blah, blah. Um, but like professionally, I, I started after graduating in doing theater. I did theater and props work. Um, I really love puppetry and my, my sort of, um, you know, graduation project for, for college was a really weird um, puppet show, but it couldn't just be a puppet show. It was like a fake puppet show. It was trying to pretend that it was a, like a, the lost cassette of, a, of an 80s puppet show that had been lost to obscurity. Um, so that's sort of how I, like already it's like, how many levels of fake do you, can you just like enclose something in until suddenly like that, that, that seediness like is validated. It turns out never, it's never validated. It's always strange and weird. Um, so uh, puppetry and post-modernity doesn't, doesn't work out the way that you want it to then. It, yes and no. It's puppetry is great because they're so it's, it's like, I don't know. It's like the alt artists, alt art. It's like, it's people love it. Like they universally are so fixated on it because it like, you know, it, it brings back these like deep memories from childhood and it is like, it's so specific and it's like the, 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 the skills used to make it and do it. Like literally anybody can do it. Um, I don't know. It's like, it's, I'm going to just start gushing about, about puppetry now. Um, <laughs> it this isn't a puppetry more... podcast. Hey guys, damn it! <laughs> no, it link should it, like link it back. Like, okay, well, it's like there should I feel like be most more postmodern acceptance of it. I feel like it has all of this incredible potential in terms of like inhabited characters and roles and all this stuff. Anyway, I love it a lot. 
Um, unfortunately, like due to health reasons, I had to kind of stop doing it. Um, and I've always been a drawer. -er. And so I started doing more and more behind the scenes work and doing building. And then I started just doing illustration and, and 2D um, drawing art. And that's sort of where I've, I've been mostly located since then. Um, I think that drawing art and illustration are different disciplines, but they're pretty much almost totally overlapped. Um, and illustration is a, like, I like my illustration weird, um, but it's been really excited to work in, on games doing it because it like it requires more clarity. Illustration more than like fine art does require this real clarity of intent. There have to be the people in the place doing the thing. And I literally had to go to grad school to learn how to do that <laughs> because like the inside of my head is a surrealist manifesto. So like learning how people see the world and how they interact with fiction, like brought me all the way back around to like childhood of like, yep, this is, this is where imagination is. This is what people enjoy. And it's really exciting to do it. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, we'll, we'll bring this up later when we talk about some of the medieval stuff, but um, I, I love the idea of, describing the lays or like uh right now i'm, I'm reading through like the chanson de, de guest or digest i don't actually know how to pronounce yeah. it the, the french you know cycles of charlemagne I. yeah nobody knows uh but yeah like the cycles of charlemagne the song of roland all of that stuff it is it does read like anime and there is some incredible high drama that you can pull from those stories that i you know like yeah, it, it still exists in fiction today, and it's such a rich ground for fantasy role-playing games to to look at those sources and to draw from them. Yeah, I mean, and I, and I think uh, I think it's also the the idea that's worth tapping into about some of the older source material, um, which, like for me, has never been as much as like I know Stephen Aubrey, our editor, also really loves like the lays and, and the the Arthurian sort of saga. Um, but I got really into like the Crusades and reading like the um the caliphate's version of events of like mm. random dudes from france came today killed a bunch of people that sucked so now we're fighting them here's how that's going and like they're very sort of matter of fact but it's it's very different you know it's not like a romantic saga but it's it's still like very interesting it's all about sort of heroic nobles uh so it feels very dragon ball very anime like i know what you mean it's like such and such came onto the field and then a long description of this like specific person from a thousand years ago uh who was essentially just some i'm sure horrible person uh in chain mail with, <laughs> yeah. with a big you know mace um but you know they're all battling each other and essentially yelling dragon ball style like get the fuck off my lawn uh and i think there's something about like these these books these stories these these histories are talked about um in this this high flutin way and then yeah there's there's other content that's like for kids and it's like i don't know man i don't i don't think actually humans have changed that much unfortunately <laughs> like no. they're still bashed <laughs> each other's skulls in and i think you know games can kind of um play with with some of those registers of like when is this actually just like this is silly right guys uh mm -hmm. but yeah anyway it's it's great that um I, I think it's interesting that so many game designers now have a little historical training i imagine that was always the case i just wasn't an adult and a game designer so i didn't know but it's really interesting to find out like, oh, you too have actually read history. So it's not all coming from sort of Lord of the Rings, right? You're not referencing someone else's interpretation of history. You're also able to go back to the, the, the original sources. So that's something we can kind of come back to, Ethan, like not just in Western European you know, history, but like other things that you have primary knowledge of as an artist when you go to write or draw. Um, so I think that's something, like you said, your, your head is the Surrealist Manifesto. I'd like to hear more about like the things that you look at. I know like, we were just working with another illustrator and Ethan sent like just a bunch of pictures of crystals and was like, here's 
crystals that I, I think are probably on your desk, right? Yeah, um, they're just, well, I mean, they're on the, you know, specimen cabinet that I built on my desk. But yeah, the, right. the same thing. Um, and not like in a goop crystal sense, but like in a, these are just really interesting <laughs> geometric forms. That right? you like, know about. That yeah. I know about. Yeah, that yeah. you know about. This yeah. one's used for healing your chakra. Mm, that <laughs> right. cool. I want that one. I mean, it would be nice um, if that actually existed. Yeah, yeah. No, we're on, not gonna uh, think. Gonna... <laughs> somebody's working on that now with plasmons and excitons and all that, you know, superconducting stuff. Uh, one day there'll just be a shape that like does things just by being a cool shape. Uh, I don't think we we know what that is yet. Um, but so in terms of TTRPGs and art, Ethan, do you want to do you want to talk about like that experience? Because I, I feel like you and I have talked about how that was different than other kinds of art. Um, I mean, you alluded to some of it, like representationality. Um, yeah, um, I mean, it's interesting because it's like I feel like I have these very coming coming from and like the divisions between these things are so incredibly stupid. It really just comes down to like where your paycheck comes from or who represents you. But like coming from an in quote sort of like fine or conceptual art background, like I have very particular like needs as an artist. And so while I've enjoyed doing illustration professionally, like there are certain I don't know how to describe it, like there there are just certain ways that people and objects and like scenes are depicted that it, it took i had to like do a, a lot of like searching and talking to other illustrators and, and connecting with other game illustrators to really start like getting getting my bearing with it but i think that more than other kinds of illustration to a certain extent um i feel like rpg or ttrpg illustration has been very rewarding because the idea of like this object needs to be isolated because it needs a call out box and we need to describe it. And like, then wife will write the language about it. Or it's like, we need to depict like this very poetic language about an impossible object in the future. Or it's like, you know, this is a magic crystal. What does it do? How do you, how do you get the vibe of what it's supposed to be across? Mm. It's like, it gets more at this idea of like a, a, a thing has to be more than a thing. Like mm -hmm. things are sort of, they can be in a scene with like a full depiction of like a moment in time, or like they have to be something a little bit closer even to conceptual or like, um, not conceptual, um, concept art where, mm -hmm. you know, you have to sort of explore what the form of an object means if it comes from a particular realm or planet or is held by a certain, you know, woman or species. It's yeah. I feel like that has been very satisfying come to it. And that's the part that sort of got me jazzed about learning more about it. Very cool. Is there um, what what do you think the ratio of like representation to abstraction is in the work that you've been doing for RPGs in terms of like you know I you, I I think about this a lot as well because I'm also an illustrator. I'm also illustrating my own game, uh, and and there's a lot of like yeah. How do you get a vibe? How do you get like an aura across to somebody? How do you get that that feeling of an object even though you're just representing it on the page? Uh, what are some of the approaches that you take to that? That's really interesting. Um, it's been it's funny because I've been finding I'm I'm illustrating a fantasy game that um, wife and I are doing dev on, and I, I sort of like it's actually based on on stories from undergrad. Um, but I'm finding that fantasy actually requires much more of that depictive energy even than sci-fi, um, and I don't know if it's because like you know because of you know J.R. Tolkien et cetera et cetera et cetera like people already have this sort of like as white you were saying like this fake idea of history in their head or like the way that in quotes like magical past 
might have been. And so like trying to distinguish from how it's already been, you have to be like, no, 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 it's not, you know, the, the, the houses don't all look like Tudor houses. They have to look, well, then you have to like describe specifically like, okay, well, if it's not going to look like Dragon Game, then how do you draw Corbell in a house like that? Oh God, I have to learn architecture. Crap. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm going um, through that right now. <laughs> it, um, and it's like, I think that with, with working on, on like still fleet specifically, um, you know, it, because it's drawing on like this very long tradition of sci-fi and it takes place so far in the future, it's been a pretty decent balance of like coming at it with my understanding of technology and like landscapes and people as they are. Um, and then being able to sort of like, you know, I guess futz with representation here and there. And like, I'm, I'm pleased to say after like what, two and a half, three years of working on it now, like things are finally starting to look like what they are. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think, I think it's been an ongoing process for me in short. Well, so can you, can you describe some of the work uh, just again for, if someone is not as familiar with still fleet, um, some of the work you've done for still fleet over the years, because yeah, you and I are friends. We've worked together in other art projects with writing where we had an idea like suspicious anatomy. We did a book of fake mm. neuroscience, which is your idea mostly my words all your art and then i laid it out with our friend patrick's um help creating a nice template and that's a little bit similar actually thinking about it you know skipping ahead a decade and a half to still fleet it's like mostly my words mostly your art there's other people involved um but you know again you you were coming to teach rpgs having played every other nerd game but not spent as much time in that world um and thinking about you know how you wanted to work as a fine artist and what's representational and how does it play in the, the sort of game like didactic space of like learning rules for stuff or learning lore yeah um so what, what are some of the things you did i mean i could gush about all kinds of cool stuff you did but do you want to highlight just some cool pieces and how you approached them maybe i'm curious about like the craft since i am not going to draw sure so throw that out there. um <laughs> so so i approached it like i i feel like there were sort of two two processes um i mean they're kind of the same thing just in like different directions um one of the first pieces of art that i did um for the book was what turned into the cover um which was the depiction of of spindle like the big sort of galactic you know hub this this massive um uh spaceship which just sort of hangs in space that is is the last refuge of humanity put together by question mark um but then is is used by like the sinister co um to to connect all all these different like other locations a, a, across the the galaxy or universe um uh, which is sort of the central tenet of the game of how how players go on on ventures um to do stuff as they go through stiffworks these these portal doors that a certain character class can activate um and then from from spindle they will go to other places um, I, I really, really liked the idea of like, you know, the, the, the theme of like an overarching, there is like, your boss is the bad guy. Of course, they've got like the central bureaucracy. And so the idea of them having once, you know, one area that they have sort of seized control and are running things from, like, I, I really like the kind of purity of that. Like it all thematically like lines up. So the first thing that I did for, for that was like, was work on Spindle. And so that was really trying to like dig into the text and try and like, um, I, I think really do like a whole bunch of different like versions of iterating until like the lines and sort of like the weird shape in space, like it's described as almost a nudibranch in, in a nebula. Um, and then from there did the sort of classic process of like starting to render and like do a couple of studies and, and finally hit on the thing that was like, I felt a good balance of trying to convey scale 
and and like get at this really kind of grody, very retro kind of texture um, for for what the outside of a place that you're technically not even supposed to see the outside of as. Um, so that was a very like pleasing process of like you know starting starting with a text, starting with a brief, starting with a concept, and then slowly iterating um, until it sort of like fit the bill, and then doing the rendering process. Um, for for a lot of the um, other drawings in in the book, especially the stuff that was like spot colors or just more value driven, um, I would I would start with the way that I, I have typically done um, lots of my drawing art, where I would essentially like treat um, a section of my of my physical sketchbook or just like a file uh, in in uh, Photoshop as like a like a sprite sheet, and I would do. I would basically just try and fill the space with a particular idea. Is it by organic robots? You know, is it, is it drones? Is it a particular kind of uh, like, you know, melee weapon? Um, and so basically just like cram every, every section of the page um, full of that stuff. And then like, I've always found, and I, I think about this a lot that uh, one of my teachers in grad school would talk about, like when you start running out of ideas is when you start finally getting the new stuff. Cause it's like, you, there's only so many ways you can draw a spacesuit. There's only so many ways you can draw a laser gun, except that there are so many minute variations of what's possible that like when you, you get through like your surface, okay, everything I remember from like, you know, elementary school till yesterday. And then you start being like, oh crap, I'm running. Like, I don't know any more sh- shapes for, for the butt of a gun or like the handle of a thing. And that's when you start researching stuff like, what does like a half musket like i don't know what a musket is i have no idea how it works so like when you start hitting bedrock is when you start hitting wikipedia (laughs) and like honestly that's usually my favorite part of the process where i'm like adding to that storehouse of knowledge of visual imagery like because i've just run out of like the cheap signaling stuff from childhood can i ask chris does that resonate with your experience because again i'm very curious how y'all work as Pros. Yeah, I was I was about to say that that hits the nail on the head for me as well. Um, especially working on Dance Macabre, it's like you know, um, kind of going back to the the I don't want to say false history, but kind of uh, fantasy history that a lot of people engage in. Uh, we think about the Dragon Game, we think about Tolkien, we think about all these things, and we I think there's a baseline understanding of of different weaponry, of different armors, of different like you were saying, Ethan, architectural styles, things like that. But none of them quite like get really to what I'm looking for, which is like a lot of historicity within the 14th century specifically. Um, and so, yeah, I, I spend a massive amount of time just doing research, um, looking at costuming guides, looking at uh, different architectural motifs, looking at sculptures, carvings from the time, all of that kind of stuff, just to try to actually get a sense of what the world felt and looked like at the time. And mm. I think you're right. You know, you, you can exhaust a certain storehouse of knowledge that you already have in the back of your head, but you do, you do hit that bedrock and you have to, you have to figure out a way to dig deeper. And I mean, thank God for the internet. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what, you know. I don't know what Gygax and those, those guys did back in the seventies. I mean, I guess they were just at the library all the time, but uh, yeah. 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 I mean, growing up in the 90s, like, we thought because we had Encarta and eyewitness books, it was like a, a dawn. We can get, are you kidding me? I could, I could. Encarta <laughs> was just a game 10 changer. CD ROMs, I could, Encarta <laughs> was a game changer. Um, absolutely. But it is like, now it's like, oh, 
I was thinking this going back, like I listen mostly to rap, but I also listen sometimes to metal and I was going backward in time, finding earlier, like doom metal, like stuff I, I might like, um, like today I listen to like Mastodon or Baroness, but like, you know, yeah. in the nineties, there's a band sleep that put out a bunch of great music before the internet, like right before the internet and, and looking at their album covers, like all the song names sound very Tolkien-esque. They sound very D and D like metal names, but the art has like a lot of like weed kind of motifs and like, it feels very almost like the wrong genre. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I was thinking about that actually. It was like, oh right, these guys are writing before the internet. So like the culture they're exposed to, like they're probably just working with a, a tattoo artist who can draw and being like, yeah, yeah, what's around us? Like we're all smoking a ton of weed. So <laughs> I don't know, like throw that in their skull. We like there's only so many like things you can use to represent sort of emotions when you're going for that representationality. It's easier almost to be very abstract. But when you're like, I feel like um, album art often has the same, follows the same rules, Ethan, that you've identified about TTRPGs, where they're like trying to do something very specific, um, at least like metal, right? Like metal's often showing some specific scary badass thing. And it's like, there's only so many scary badass things. At the end of the day, every single album is some version of a skull with a pot leaf with like a blood drop. You know, it's like, there's only so many motifs. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the album art for uh, Sleeps dope smoker is a it's dune it's essentially dune uh if you look at the album art for that it's like dudes in still suits walking over a sand dune uh and their still suits kind of look like they have bongs coming out of the mask uh (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think (laughs) i like that i think it's it's dune but with weed yeah exactly yeah it's it's dune with weed it's it's the perfect combination really It's like what uh, is it the the the, the John Stewart thing? It's like, have you ever walked without rhythm on weed? <laughs> exactly. So, um, so what are I mean? I feel like again, this is these are really just questions for y'all to talk to each other. But like, what are you what are you working on? Like, Ethan, I know you're with the Sometimes Kingdom. Uh, that's a new game. It's more your game, and it's drawing on your lore, your stories that we're you and I are mechanicalizing together. You know, playing around with the system I've created and what do we want to change about it for a more magical universe? Um, What are some things you're drawing? And then maybe that can bridge into Chris and some of the stuff you're working on. And just, you know, I'm curious again, you know, how, how do artists work and some, you know, differences or tips, or I don't know anything that someone might find useful. Um, Ethan, I think I might've said originally, this was meant to be like a car talk, but for RPGs. So like maybe some practical (laughs) tips actually are appropriate. You've drawn hundreds and hundreds of RPG illustrations at this point. So I I think, uh, and this is, this is sort of, you know, um, also drawing on like, Chris, what you were talking about, like, while it is my favorite, like aspect of, of like this process, or I guess just like, you know, doing studies of things, I guess if I'm giving, giving advice about, about drawing in general, like, absolutely draw from the things that you see and from and from research and from the objects around you like it is very tricky to not get lost in the research phase um Mm -hmm. i have in the past with prior stuff i mean um i've got pretty profound add so it's something i'm always sort of wary of now it's like oh like i'll just hyper focus and then like great now i know i know what balustrades are and how you know (laughs) you know gothic architectures that isn't actually a sketch on a piece of paper (laughs) so it's that that is something i have to constantly be be mindful of um the i've sort of been talking with my wife about stuff like that recently in about like you know because she's she's um learning spanish so we both have like piles of flashcards as we're like doing our respective like nerdery um and i mean for me i've sort of stumbled on on a way that i feel like it's a nice a nice balance of those two like if you're if you're doing a study of something like 
definitely keep it to one idea per sketch. Um, hmm. If you're tr- if you've got a sketchbook and you're working on something or note cards, there's so many different ways of doing it. Like I I always feel weird about sketchbooks because I feel this real all-consuming need to fill it, which is mm-hmm. ridiculous because you're supposed to fill sketchbooks over as long. Like that's not the point of a sketchbook unless you're selling the sketchbook. The point of it is to have some paper that you can throw in your backpack easy. Like um, so I guess that's the second thing. Don't don't feel the need. Don't feel obligated to to fill your sketchbook abandon a drawing if it isn't working out don't throw don't do a sunk cost thing unless you really really like having a full sketchbook full of garbage (laughs) um which has its own charm don't get me wrong um but definitely if you're doing if you're doing studies towards an idea or you're trying to learn for instance architectural things or or weapons or, or whatever whatever have you um like keep keep one idea per sketch and then naturally your brain will shift gears and you'll start drawing you know the outfit for a person like it's this really wonderful surprising moment where you didn't have to really push yourself or like climb that hill like if you just if you just are trying to acquire ideas and like shapes and forms and stuff like that really just do like one sketch per idea at a time and then like the more complex stuff will just start rolling out like when it's ready I mean, that's the same with writing. Like, Chris, I'm really eager to hear what you have to say, but like, it's the same idea with writing. You can get really lost in looking stuff up that then you don't do your own writing, and you're like, oh, that was a waste of four hours. <laughs> I know so much about some <laughs> random thing that happened 500 years ago, it doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, no, I, I, Ethan, I also have pretty, pretty uh, rageful ADD uh, that I work very hard. I work very hard to keep it in check, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, uh, uh, no, I get, I get lost in the sauce all the time uh, when it comes to the research phase, and, and that's also something that I have to constantly pull my back, pull myself back from. Just like, okay, do the do the thing, do the thing that we have set out to do, um, and and you know, as as a writer and as an illustrator, it definitely it applies to both. Um, I mean, like. <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm yeah. working on I'm working on like a table right now of uh, it's a D66 table of different items that you can find. And so last night I found myself at 1:45 in the morning, just like looking up legendary swords of medieval France and legendary items and like <laughs> who carried a sensor, like who who would have feasibly carried a sensor that would smoke forever or something like that. You know, it's just like yeah, and and. and you're right. At the end of the day, you have to, you have to kind of like take a step back and be like, this is cool. This is fun. But also I just have to do the thing. I have to put something down on paper, even if it's abstract, even if it's a sketch. Yeah. And I will say working with wife over the years has really helped impart that lesson. Like, you know, for, for as much as you're saying, you're, you know, fall prey to that too. I feel like your, your ongoing philosophy of working, which is like, let's get something down on the page. (laughs) Like as sort of like, I've, I've tried to like, you know, by process of osmosis, like try, try and impart that to my own stuff. I will say also, if anybody is listening, who is like on the younger side, do whatever you want, read until one o'clock in the morning, like draw something does don't draw something. It doesn't matter. You have infinity time. I'm mostly talking to other (laughs) young professionals here. If you're like still, if you're up until like high school, literally just enjoy, enjoy sitting up with that, that, that book that you stumbled on somewhere or that article online, like, which is fun because it is fun, fun to (laughs) do it. It's just a question. I think that's why one question or one thesis we have with a podcast and is, you know, is like, if you're doing it professionally, what's different or, and, and that's, and to your point, I think it took me a decade 
of, you know, I was working a day job and then at night would be lost in the sauce with various mechanical invention and lore writing and like map drawing um, because it was fun and I wasn't doing it. Prof- and it wasn't until I was like, all right, if I'm going to sell this, then how valuable are these different tasks? And then, and then it's, it's not immediately obvious, but it becomes right. It's a heuristic that's easier and easier as you do more and more. You're like, all right, I roughly know how long it takes to write that kind of thing you roughly know how long it takes to draw different kinds of things. So it's easier for us to kind of have a, a you know, a factory approach where it's like, all right, we know we want to produce end product, but, it, but we've talked about also building in the, the loose creative time too, where you really just want to have time to just fuck around and find out, uh, you know, <laughs> um, and that's important. Yeah. Play, play is important. It's an important part of creativity, whether you're writing or you're drawing or doing anything really. Um, so it is, yeah, I think it's good to point out that you should still have that even as a, even in a professional approach to right. the hobby or the industry or whatever we want to categorize it as. Yeah. Right, because right. ultimately it will save time. It's like that, 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 that fucking around period of time will ultimately save you the time because you're not jumping into and i used to do this all the time even as a young kid like if you jump into a drawing and you have a certain standard that you're trying to like apply to it like and you haven't at least done like a couple little sketches ahead of time you're gonna like have a real sore like eraser hand or or whatever (laughs) you're gonna be pressing the, the 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 backwards action button a lot um you know, digital has changed it a lot because you can go off on a tangent and be like, ah, crap. Well, let's just roll this back 70 steps and it's fine. But I mean, I think the difference professionally is it's like, oh man, that's, that's actually time that I'm not going to be spending playing Zelda tonight because I will be working. So um, it's like the, the, I think that like the difference professionally is like finding, finding that balance of efficiencies while still making sure that like the process, you know, cause it's, I mean, obviously the big difference is it's a job like you're doing it for money dollars you're doing it to promote your career so it's like there there are on one hand there's more limitations on it because it's like oh an audience has to purchase this and then on the other hand there's like even less limitations because you could technically work infinity hours on it you could blow your writing room out you could like <laughs> yeah. exhaust yourself like right and that's a terrible idea don't do that <laughs> so it's like <laughs> trying to find efficiencies so that you live a healthy life while also you know making the donuts is the, is the big challenge. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think of it like other, uh, like Chris, I don't know, cause we were just watching, um, a lot of great chefs do some very fast cooking, uh, over the last few days. And I think of it like that. It's like, there is an end goal. Like people are paying to eat food, but you know, there's also an artistry and at a certain level, like you both, you have to manage time and all these ingredients and like people's expectations, but you also have to have fun and be creative and do it a little different every, every time or else it's not, you know, or else it is fast food and it's not, you know, whatever, haute cuisine of some kind. Um, and that, that some of that is a mindset and some of that is technique and some of that is years of training. And some of that is you're getting paid enough to, to have your body be comfortable in space and you have enough sleep and you can actually like do it physically. Um, so it's not sort of like, you know, you shouldn't beat yourself up if you're, if you don't feel you've, you've reached that level. But I, I do think it is um, a mixture of setting rules about design in the most abstract sense of like design theory. Um, so like when you're doing illustration, like you're saying, Ethan, like what kind of thing am I drawing? Maybe I do preliminary sketches of parts of it or whatever you would do the, the balletic movements, you know, in space before you do all the fine shading or, you know, assign the contours exactly. Um, and knowing how you're going to do it, we've talked about that before too. With like, are you drawing with a stylus on a pad, um, like a, a Wacom tablet, or are you drawing in a notebook or whatever? 
Um, and I think writing is very similar. Yeah, you, you, you might, like, I outline everything for games now, and it's all sort of outline driven. And the outline can change, and I'll go back and change stuff. But it's, it's having that approach of, like, really, how long is this book supposed to be? Because one thing I learned is also people don't want to read 500 pages of lore necessarily. <laughs> you can seduce them into that. But first, they really want to know, like, what is this game about? How do I play it? Uh, mm-hmm. Give me some tables for weird, weird crap, you know? So. No time! Planetfall! <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everyone wants to be fighting a xenomorph like two seconds into the every adventure <laughs> and they want to know what to roll. Um, and you know what? I can't blame them. Can't blame them for it. Yeah. No, of course. Of course. So Ethan, um, you know, kind of moving into the, the sometimes kingdom. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Moving into the sometimes kingdom. How, do you think that your illustration practice or any of the kind of experience, your drawing practice has kind of informed the design of the game or, or any of the elements within the game? I mean, I know y'all are using the grit system, but modifying yeah. it, kind of that's, changing things that's around. That's a really interesting question. Um, I, had a, I had a conversation a few months ago with a, with a friend of mine um, who is part of the, the Scenic Union in Massachusetts. And, um, you know, because I don't like do much theatrical stuff because I'm, I'm very, like these days, I'm, I'm very COVID safe um, because of like health reasons. And so it's, it's sort of a bummer because like, I don't even do like props work anymore. Um, but um, I, I've been thinking a lot about, and this is, this is a conversation that her and I had a lot about around this sort of idea is that like, like theatricality isn't necessarily just like an artistic discipline. It's also, it's like, there's a very particular kind of like, I don't want to say vibe, it's a certain kind of practice where they're they're like everything's kind of cranked up to 11 and it's like there's a certain artifice that you like apply to things um and i've been thinking about that a lot because i feel like that's a certain kind of it is a very kind of puppet show sort of like mentality where it's like i don't know like there there are there are tableaus and there there are scenes um there there are things that are happening but like like how exaggerated can it get before it just completely falls apart like what is the mm-hmm. sweet spot of exaggeration where it's like that is like ridiculous as hell but also i totally believe that those are people who like have interiorities i feel like mm-hmm. for me that's sort of where i, where I want to go with it i think like for the quick start like right now it's really just trying to like uh, adapt the art style that i've just sort of generally like developed for for tabletop games over the past few years and like essentially putting more greenery in it um, but I can see the sort of direction of it going. It, I'm hoping that it will go in a direction of like, like sort of the work that I was doing right when I came to the city. Um, for for one thing, I feel like I'm going, and I, I know this is also just because of the awfulness of like AI and everybody sort of starting to reassess digital art a little bit. Like, I really miss drawing by hand, and I am going back to doing like sketchbooks and like starting drawings and scanning them a lot more, even if it takes a little bit more time, um, just because like I find the process like more satisfying. And I think there's this sort of like gritty energy. Like there's just something about the act of drawing something physically that kind of feels a little bit like a performance. And I kind of want to lend that to the drawings themselves and what the content is. So I'm hoping a little bit of that rubs off of it. Yeah. I mean, um, I also think it's interesting because we, I've been so focused on sci-fi, and I brought Ethan into that, into TTRPGs via sci-fi. Um, and Chris is something you and I've talked about a little bit before too. About like we both, everyone likes all the genres, so it's not like one is good or bad. It's just like 
Ethan and I spent four years doing Stillfleet, and it was very sci-fi. And now it's like, all right, well, let's do the fantasy version. There's a couple ideas kicking around, but let's you know, let's have at least a book that is set in Ethan's you know lore and world. Um, and it's a it's not like Tolkien-esque per se, but it's drawing on a few of the. I mean, you know, magic is the big one, right? There's magic, um, yeah. and there isn't the same level of technology, although there's way more sort of industry. So I would almost say it's like little bit science fantasy or like modern fantasy um in that sense but but it's interesting going to that and and back to the conversation about tropes and like what feels tired or whatever um it's like all right how are we going to approach our version of x you know so there's a fighter class well how is it different from every other game how much do we want to change the rules versus how much does it show up in copy or lore or something versus uh you know the art for example like and the design like how much can you communicate visually um, which is not something I, I think when I started Stillfleet, I was pretty naive about the possibilities and like I'd read all these books obsessively, but it's reading, it's going back and reading them a new way. So like, I'm always going back and looking through and just stuff I missed filling in gaps of like this great game rain that I'd never read or played from probably like 10 years ago. But, um, you know, just, just going through other games and being like, how are they communicating? You know, the big ideas that work. Um, and when does it feel flat or, or sort of, you know, generic, um, and, and I don't know exactly how to translate that to illustration, but it's something I feel like Ethan, you and I talk about a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that, you know, Chris, you'll, you'll sort of, you know, we'll basically all be in conversation as we hopefully keep doing the show essentially. Um, so yeah, I mean with SK, so the status of that, we have a quick start coming out. Maybe can you give us a brief, what is the sometimes kingdom? Like what are some things you're excited about of, of this rich world that you've been working on forever? Um, sure. So I think that like, for me, like I enjoy fantasy. Um, I think that there there's a lot of rich material for it to be not necessarily like self-reflexive or self-conscious. Um, but I, I mean, you and I both like like a pastiche. Like this idea mm-hmm. of there's so much there's so much material drawn from so many different sources, um, and having kind of a yes and mentality about like, well, of all the things that like one one likes in a particular genre what really would it look like if it, if it all hangs together properly? Um, a sort of magic word for me has always been like bricolage, this idea of like, mm-hmm. it's, it's sort of beyond collage where, where the actual objects themselves start being incorporated into something. And I'm, I'm really trying to see what it looks like if there is kind of a bricolage fantasy where a fantasy world is made up of sort of like the scraps and remnants of other fantasy worlds, um, it's gone through like, you know, your standard kind of trope of like, oh, there was a disaster in the past and things changed. Um, but it's it's not quite utopian. It's more of this idea of like, you know, time time continues to go on. There isn't necessarily ultimate good and ultimate evil. Um, so trying to bring in those kinds of like low fantasy ideas of like people just living in a place. That place yeah. happens to have this absolutely berserker, like high fantasy sort of origin um but in a lot of ways it's like much more secular i think than than other kinds of fantasies so i would say i'm i think what i'm hoping this sometimes kingdom will be is kind of like um like a bricolage secular fantasy about people living their lives in a place where magic is ridiculously overclocked <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's fun it, it reminds me of what we we're saying about um medieval times and what's changed what hasn't changed because it feels like a, a setting where um you have uh you know ridiculous magic but it hasn't necessarily like it still feels D like and i think there's something fun about that in the same way that like as technology has increased a lot of 
a lot of tensions have been heightened to use social science language, you know, but it hasn't like AI has not uh, either ruined our world or made a utopia so far, right? It just seems like it's heightening right. existing it's just another piece with... of complexity. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so I think you um, can see magic in that in that same way. Um, And Chris is back. Hey, Chris, we were just kind of go- talking about Ethan's game uh, or the game we're working on based on Ethan's Ethan's writing and, and just kind of the baseline ideas of uh, a very magical place that still feels secular. Like it feels like a modern place where there's just tons of magic and people adapt. And so for example, you die, you become a skeleton. Skeletons are there. Everyone knows skeletons, very normal. And what would that sort of feel like? Uh, which yeah, maybe, maybe Spire has shades of that as well. Okay. Oh, whales sure. are how you get around sky whales. Totes <laughs> sky, norm. It's, love a sky it whale. doesn't feel magical the way the dragon game um, in, a, in a fun way for, I find more for, younger kids but like highlight certain things as like in the in the way loader did right like beyond those hills there's one dragon um and i think that's one way to do magic and fantasy and to play with these tropes but ethan ethan you know goes in a different direction so that's kind of recap um yeah what were you gonna um, say chris <laughs> yeah very nice i was I was gonna say, <laughs> if if my audio is working now, um, yes. Okay, so what you were saying reminds me of a couple of games. One being Spire, which has great tonality, feels dark, feels oppressive, but at the same time, you know, has sky whales, has these kind of fantastic elements that make it seem like there there can be something beyond that kind of oppression, and that's something that really comes through in the illustration style. Another one that I'm thinking of is uh, the ultraviolet grasslands, UVG, ultraviolet mm, mm, grasslands, yeah. um, which has this very like Mo- Mo- Mobius, Mobius feel to it. Um, these kind of like flat pastels, but the way in which the illustration communicates this openness, this kind of um, unending prairie that you can explore through the mechanics of the game uh, just syncs really nicely together. Yeah, That's and Vaults of Varn, cool. which is also in that 70s mode. Um, yeah. I, I, yeah, so I, I think there's a whole OSR world where, um, you know, magic is around, but it's not Tolkien-esque. I think people have kind of agreed on that almost as a design community. And then it's almost, there's just many different shades of sort of what does that mean or what does that look like? Um, and I think one of the interesting things is maybe, Chris, you and I are very obsessed with all those games. And I feel like something like Ethan is extremely smart and reads a lot, but does not read all those games. It's just like... You know that, like, I feel like Ethan, you you have stepped into this community from you know yeah, adjacent I mean... video game theater, you know, <laughs> fine art. Yeah, it's 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 like I I you know I I am going from like I'm at that period of going from being a guest into this world to being like, oh yeah, this is what I want to spend my free time doing. Huh. Cool. All right. So I got a lot of reading to do. Um, you know, and it's like we we try and keep like a good library of this stuff, and I think that part of it is like there's just so there's just so much of it there's and then mm. it's been happening for what 40 50 years at this point it's a whole new genre and like i was there a little bit in the 90s for like third edition uh for like a very very brief period and then i stopped for like 20 something years so it's like i'm i'm partly playing catch up and like i'm finding myself like going from ambassador to be like yep i'm i'm becoming a citizen of this and I don't know if that's going to involve like finding one system that I'll be obsessed with, or if I, it's like the the breadth and depth of it. I'm going to just start getting interested in the all 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 walks of this. So like, I definitely read 
less of this, but like I'm seeing myself look at the games library a little bit and see what happens. Um, yeah, and I th- and I think that's that'll be fun to see what products like because there's also a difference I think when you go from hobby to business with a thing on your computer and like some files in a folder to like you selling a physical book. And yeah, that absolutely. provides all kinds of like that turn is really interesting when you're like, oh, well, we actually we could do this very differently. We can do, a, you know, we could do deluxe versions. You could do mini versions. It's like there's so many options. And that, that, again, is a whole design space to explore that if you haven't been making physical books, it's yeah. just another and thing like, to like get lost in. As both a designer and a customer, I am such a sucker for that shit. Like, get like, oh yeah, I want that uh, that cover with that. Are you kidding? It comes with a little bookend in it. What? <laughs> I want it. You got to get the ribbon. You got to get the ribbon. Got to get so the ribbon. Got to get the yeah. I know. I'm uh, anti ribbon. Everybody else likes ribbon. You're anti ribbon. <laughs> wow. No. <laughs> Just kidding. We've um, discussed this. It's a uh, you know. <laughs> it's a whole thing. <laughs> Ethan could do ribbons for the products for which he's lead designer, but for uh, yeah, very fair, um, very fair, very judicious. As long as there's a you. paragraph at the beginning of you being like, I, I, I am writing off this ribbon. <laughs> You'll notice there's a ribbon attached. To the I do book. not agree with this ribbon. <laughs> I find it annoying. I'm going to cut mine off. <laughs> it's perforated so you can you have the option of just tearing the ribbon out (laughs) ripping it out yeah Uh, ethan i remember Um, wife was telling me a bit about the sometimes kingdom and i mean i think it sounds fantastic Uh, one thing from a design perspective and talking about physical books as well uh wife had mentioned that you were you were planning on releasing it as a series of a5 books is that something that you're still doing yeah um yeah i think that the the so the plan as it stands is um I personally just coming again, like just nineties, 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 nineties. Um, like coming coming from from zine stuff, like I find the A five format to be very charming. Um, and coming from like just a straight up cognitive load perspective, I find that um, like absorbing information for me personally with a smaller piece of paper is just faster. Um, and from a design perspective, like it's an interesting challenge to make something look really great on the page. And then there is a page break and then there's like another sequence. Like it, 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 it organizes information differently. Not that much differently. It's like same, same, but different. Um, But I, I still really like the idea of doing it. Um, The sort of main conceit of the sometimes kingdom is that there's this world called seasons keep, which has been around for a long, long time. It's the classic sort of like secret, secret fantasy world, you know, right behind the magic door. Um, And it's divided up sort of roughly into, um, like where the seasons are places. So there's the, there's different islands. Um, there's the winter Island of Interheart and there's the spring Island of uh, Springside and the summer Island of Summerside and the autumn Island of Copia. Um, but it's it, like, and the, the magic system has, is very, is very ecology and like territory based. So the schools of magic all sort of roughly line up with it as well. Um, but there's this idea of, of maybe that isn't actually how magic is organized. And so there's all these untoward effects that happen. So if you're doing um, winter magic, there's this blood price. If you're doing summer magic, there's going to be like, you know, all of these like bizarre outcomes that will happen because it's very easy to overclock it, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the names of the schools actually harken back to like what the islands were named before they became Seasons Keep. So it's this idea of like, there is this magical system that might have been grafted onto like the way that the world was before, because this is how the world is now. And I, I think that that's really interesting where information like doesn't really fit the thing that it's symbolizing. 
and in a magic world where like knowledge is literally power like what does that mean like the thing that is symbol the thing that is symbolized can be the symbol like because it's magic so that is a really interesting and kind of dangerous idea about like what is information in a world like that um blah 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 but like i really want to like i think have each of the seasons be released as their individual a5 like i'm sure eventually things will be compiled and we might do like a larger book at some point etc um but just having it more like um like a digest where where it's something that you can like collect um and each one like will hopefully be easy to read and like have a of a like chain of design like that that links them all together but like that can also like there can be variations there can be differences to try and get at that like game feel of like oh these islands are very different from each other and those magic systems that they have might be different even at the design level a little bit yeah um, so that that's the hope we're you know we're, we're sort of still figuring it out but nice yeah i think that having uh each island kind of confined to its own a5 book does a good job of communicating that where it's same same but different like you're saying it's it's separate but connected at the same time um and white it's funny it's funny that you brought up vaults of varn earlier ethan i don't know if you're familiar with this it's like a science fantasy mm -hmm. i guess it's, i don't know would you describe it as like a post-apocalyptic game i haven't actually played it but i own i'd say it's very similar to ultraviolet grasslands yeah um, they're both OSR clones. you know they're they're like uh, and Electrum Archive, I think those three jump out to me as the premier, like, the way that Karen and Nave and Entiad are, like, generic. I guess those games, Electric Bastion Land, are less generic. They're, like, it's still basically just D&D, &D, but it's in a, it's all tables of weird crap. Um, but, yeah, it's, like, a desert kind of with some big cities that ha they have water, and that's the main sort of resource. But the drawing and the writing is very like seventies, like science fantasy vibes, uh, similar to I think EBG, but they're two different specific creators who I, I believe write and draw it all. I could look that up and confirm. Love yeah, to talk to those guys, but personally love their work. You know. Yeah, I think I think ultraviolet. Well, I don't I don't think that Luca Rajic does the illustrations for that, but I could be wrong. Okay. Okay. I could be wrong, but I don't think that he does. Um, but Vaults of Varn is also released as a series of A5 zines, right? So it's it's kind of the same thing where there's this like iterative publishing that happens. Um, oh, which... no, Luca Rajic does do the art. Oh, he does? Okay, good to know. Very oh, cool. cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think this series, I think with SK, because I liked with Still Fleet, you get all the rules in one book, and it's a kind of bigger book but then you have all the rules and you have all the lore and you kind of just could play with that book. Um, and then other supplements are like adventures. They're adding, you know, worlds. But I think the idea of Sunrise Kingdom would be some version of, I mean, and the grid system eventually will just give away kind of all the rules, you know? Um, and then you could play games and it's more like you're getting specific. Uh, like there's a new, there's another OSR mini book called ruiner that's quite nice and short and it, it would be interesting if each setting was just a one a5 short thing with like tables illustration lore um and then you could go around you know these islands and then and you could bundle them as a nice like package which i think as a product is really 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 different but really really cool um compared to you know uh one huge letter size like omnibus rule book um which you know again i don't, I don't think it's like good or bad it's like these are just different ways to approach like yeah, design and information. Yeah, what do you put on each page? So yeah. I think it'll be cool to keep it fresh for us by like 
doing new stuff. I don't know. Yeah, I think so too. It, this also is also bringing to mind for me uh, Dolmenwood, which is on Kickstarter right now, um, which originally started as a series of modules of adventures for OSC and other, you know, like BX clone kind of games. But the, I think they've created their own system or clone of it. Uh, and the way that they're releasing the Kickstarter version, at least, is that you have kind of like a thin basic rule book that lays out all of your mechanics. And then you have a settings book and then I believe a monsters book. And the setting book is the larger of the three and kind of lays out the the more detailed setting that you have. Um, but that being said, yeah, as a product and as a consumer, that's something that I definitely want to buy. <laughs> Uh, it really speaks to me. <laughs> and I, I could see that working for Sometimes Kingdom as well, where it's like, yeah, you can buy them individually, you can buy them as a bundle, all these different ways of going about it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's really cool. Yeah, I think, you know, one thing that, like, I, you know, like internally, like, on Design Team for Stillfleet, the thing that we all sort of, like, really geek out about is, you know, playing around with, with Diegesis and the idea of design being like internal to the world versus like what is necessary to have a pleasant experience reading and like absorbing the game. Um, and I think that like a nice thing about fantasy, especially if it is like, you know, a more modern fantasy is that like, I think part of the reason people are drawn to, to those ideas of like modern fantasy is that there's so much ephemera, which doesn't really, isn't used anymore you know, some of which we grew up with, some of which, do, you know, predates us by, you know, years, decades, centuries, um, you know, everything from ex libris to like commonplace books to like design tables to, to like all of that stuff looks, it's, it's such a fabulous way of encoding information. And there are so many different varieties of it. And it's so fun to have it and experience it. So I, I feel like that's the kind of thing that like on a, on a, on a longer timetable, gets me really excited about doing something like fantasy um, where, where there's this opportunity to, it's like, Oh, well, if it, this is going to be like a charming world full of charming magic, some of which is terrifying, some of which is cute. Some of which is like, you know, bloodthirsty and, and scary. And, and some of which is like, you know, just a cozy autumn afternoon foraging for mushrooms or whatever. Um, like the, the, the breadth with which like different design elements can be brought to bear on that has like such a long, pedigree and timetable that like you can just draw from like all of these different centuries to do it um and i think that that's a really cool sort of like envelope for a form factor that you really can't get from other genres yeah yeah i would agree i mean i've been looking at a lot of illuminated manuscripts and codexes recently mm. um thinking about the layout of those books and and you know, also thinking about the labor that went into it, which was insane at the time, you know, 13th, 14th century, doing everything by hand. But there, there is an interesting way in which they communicate information, which is very terse, but long form at the same time. Uh, and I've been thinking a lot about how I can incorporate that into, into my game, into Dance Macabre, at least for like frontis piece kind of things um, as mm -hmm. a way of introducing the the historicity but also getting just again the kind of like vibe or the feeling of being in that in that time and space yeah historicity is such a great word it's like you can't prove it didn't happen uh, <laughs> <laughs> and like i mean that's what really drew me to the medieval source decks in the in the first place in, mm -hmm. during college um aside from the fact that I, I had a friend who was really deep into arthuriana um and it was something that we could just like talk about like beyond that it's it's like the source material itself is also like 
apocryphal and inaccurate. Uh, yes. It's like Jeffrey of Monmouth didn't know what he was talking about. And it's so great. <laughs> it's like, oh, that is a no. foundational text of this. <laughs> wow, there's a lot of giants in this. I'm into this. <laughs> and they were real. Uh, they were real. Yeah, fake history all the way down is really great. Um, uh, no, I was going to say, I like that at the level of mechanics, too, um, mm -hmm. where you can sort of say, this is how we do this thing. And then you can have like another level, which which we do all the time in our games, like, oh, but but if you, you could also do it this other way we thought of, and they both work, you know, and, and these are the effects. <laughs> They're kind of branching pathways, where, as opposed to rule books, where it's like, the feeling of correctness, and am I doing it right? Um, and really militating against that. I, I just want to shout out again, that game Rain that I was reading, uh, I think like Greg Stoltzer, I think the guy did Unknown Armies, um, has a great sense of that, where there's a lot of rules where it's like, or we also tried it this way, and this is pretty fun. And there's kind of lengthy explanations of like the probabilities, which like I don't I don't get too into the math myself, but I, I appreciate that someone was really laying out the world um, almost like annotations to uh, to someone else's work, even though it's the same author just revisiting it and being like, eh, this thing is that's not even true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like the Royal Tannenbaums. This presupposes what if it didn't? Mm -hmm. Right, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Chris, what were you going to say? It sounded like you were about to. Oh, I was. I was just going to say, you know, going back to that the historicity thing. Um, you know, we were talking about that with uh, bestiaries just this past weekend. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember, we were talking to uh, Penny, our, yeah. our twelve-year-old friend, about bestiaries and like the origins of owl bears and things like that. But just like where it's like, yeah, these are like fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth-hand accounts that are translations into the French from the Latin, from the Arabic, from the Greek, from the Persian, you know, and the, the, there's just this like morphing of history through that time period, um, which fantasy does do a really beautiful job of kind of encapsulating, um, you know, for better or worse, whether it's Tolkien-esque or, or, or something different. Um, but mechanically speaking, I do think that there there is a tendency in the OSR to be like, these are the rules, but if you don't like it at the table, just you know, kind of make up your own thing. Do do whatever you want here, um, which I, I really like and appreciate. Yeah, and I think the the feeling um, in some games that to me that was a gripe I had with D and D as a kid is like it's like wait are there no historians in this world like can't I just look up like why why is everything new why is everything buried in secret mm -hmm. you think the OSR like Vault of Varn, which I've more recently like read does a good job of, of kind of explaining that diegetically like well no one's really sure of anything because it's it's a sort of a post-apocalypse which feels more like the gene wolf books it feels sort of like mm. okay that like the the magic could all actually be you know nanotechnology or something who knows yeah. like we've lost the work for it so it's all just magic now uh newman era kind of gets at that but again there's it's very loosey-goosey with kind of like billions of years have passed and and was wait was nothing recorded like how do we have sort of no record but we still have these technologies um but yeah i i think the original games one one reason they i to me they they do feel tired when i look at like actual D&D product not to like bash them it's just they don't have a sense of historicity either in either direction it's it's either, it doesn't feel lost enough and it also doesn't feel like a real world where people could have the job of like writing books about you know uh the red wizards of Thay or whatever you know and i think there's something interesting USR where it's taking seriously some of some of that that gimmick of like playing with time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. In, in terms of the idea of in-world historians, um, you know, over the past month, I've been playing the crap out of um, um, Tears of the Kingdom, which feels very validating. Um, 
to a certain extent because like what i what i want to have happen with the sometimes kingdom is exactly that like there are there are surveyors and cartographers and historians who are desperately trying to uncover what the hell happened like over the past couple of thousand years because there was so much damage it's like you know so it's it's a job it's a vocation um you know and magic is like well it just works so we're going to use it but really we don't know what's going on with it that seems kind of alarming but there isn't any time to like really figure it out um in no way is this going to blow up in all of our faces in a couple of ventures you know <laughs> um but like in in tears of the kingdom like there are actual cartographic survey teams going around like researching the floating ruins you like you your job is to go do like geoglyph surveys which is like yeah the nerdiest thing to happen in in a in a <laughs> in a mainstream video game in so long and it's so wonderful it's, but it's like the 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 culture inside the game is so well thought out like you were constantly running into people who are exploring the ruins for you know for themselves for for trying to like seize control or because they're working for the castle and are altruistic it just it feels like yeah what an amazingly wondrous world it's our day job to go try and figure out what the hell's going on it's your job to go fight the villain but also figure out what's going on at the same time. But also figure out what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's so. Yeah, uh, that's, that's also something I really loved about Tears of the Kingdom as well. And it, it, I don't know. You could go off on a whole thing about like the history of Zelda and all of that, but uh, no, it, it does a great job of making you feel like you're living after a catastrophe, after a, a calamity, even uh, if you want to go back to Breath of the Wild. <laughs> I see uh, what you did there. Ah, yes. Yeah, I mean, it's funny, too, like, a lot of this stuff was also source material, like, appendix in source material for for some of the original Dragon game. I mean, you know, like, Jack Vance Dying Earth stuff was a huge influence on early right. D&D, but somewhere in the mix, that, that sense of, like you're saying, lost history uh, got lost in and of itself. Um, and I, I don't know when that happened or where that happened. I'd be interested to do some research into that. That's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, it might be that the early games were focused more on simulation and combat and, and exploration, to, to be generous, um, and sort of the dungeon crawl and hex crawl as, as two modes um, of, of sort of uh, not, not just doing combat. Mm -hmm. But they weren't focused on the social situations where that stuff would really matter. So you could, like, you know, it could be um, compressed. Uh, to be like, okay, you meet a, the old wizard who has an archive of this area, but you didn't need to improv that stuff, and it wasn't interesting, and no one was focused on those skills. Whereas now, in the modern theater of the mind, narrative-focused games, like, that's, you know, the foreground and background have been inverted, and that's the fun stuff that we, like, do ourselves. We, like, teach to new GMs and players, um, and then you have to write down the prompts for, like, okay, how does that work? Because uh, the goal is never actually to memorize whole science fiction books or fantasy books of lore, it to be able to have fun sort of moments where that stuff matters and play in some way. Um, and really just to spam the world to use, you know, D. Vincent Baker's term from Apocalypse World, spam the world constantly, whatever vibe you want. So, you know, partly it's about, I think D&D &D does spam the world, but in a video game like way where it doesn't, it feels ahistorical, it's a flat timeline. So it's interesting because there's interesting stuff around you all the time that's mentioned that you can go kill and rob. But there's not like a world with a history where like stuff happens in, and there's so there's not that sort of connection into the future either. It, it also loses the sense of futurity. You know, you don't get a sense that anyone is like changing over time in the in those early books. Um, and I think 
uh, I, I'm most interested in games that do have that do play with time. I also think, Chris, that's one reason I do like your game is it's so different from like Still Fleet or Far Future, or whatever, you know, the politics of technology and labor. But it's still like a, a, essentially a game about, you know, history, something big happens and then, OK, we have to build a new world. And what is that going to look like? There's a number of actually modern horror games that do that. You know, I think um, Red Markets and Rotted Capes are both just, like interesting you know, what ifs. Um, that mechanicalize some of that stuff. So, um, you know, it's not, it's, it's not reinventing the wheel. I just think it's a shift. Maybe I would, this would be something to talk about the older game designers, but like, has there been a shift in the industry away from kind of doing what video games do best and toward some other form of narrative structure? And how do we even like think about that stuff? So that's a, that's a long winded way of agreeing with you. But. <laughs> no, I like it. I mean, it reminds me of like, um, I want to say early 20th century, the the relationship between photography and painting, uh, where you start to see more and more of a movement away from representational or naturalistic painting more into abstraction with the rise of photography, because we, we have mm. the technology now to represent a moment in time. It takes way less time. It's It's functionally and economically more feasible. And so it allows you to kind of like go into abstraction a bit. And so I, I actually wonder if the fact that we're at a point with video games where they do do what they do very well, which is simulate combat, bring you that kind of level of excitement, if that's why we're having this shift in TTRPG design that brings us back into the historical or brings us back into more of like a lore heavy, more character heavy driven um, kind of writing style. Yeah. That's interesting. The same thing happened in in theater with the invention of cinema. Um, mm. Like the lot, like absolutely lavishly gorpy, like you know, traveling traveling theatrical shows. Like theater had a chance to be stripped down too after cinema because there was you know that tension of like, oh, we could do even more, we could do even less. We don't know. Maybe they're both the same thing or not. But then having having theater become more more ab abstract to a certain extent less reliant on like massive like set and showpieces don't mm -hmm. get me wrong i love a massive theatrical <laughs> set and showpiece uh, <laughs> i just want it all <laughs> like <laughs> i want the conceptual and i want the um you know giant puppet gorilla <laughs> well and sometimes it's teaching, teaching the audience too so like i mean that's where you get these interesting modern with modernism you get you know beckett and brecht right and so you have plays which are you know, right before you have Chekhov or whatever, you have like the height of like modern theater where it's stripped down, but it's very realistic and the emotions are realistic. And even though it's stripped down, it's like a table and two old people arguing. You don't need to teach the audience. Like they get in there and they're like, okay, I get it. Whereas you, when you move to Beckett, it's like, wait, it's a homeless man in trash can, like ranting about like, <laughs> slowly decaying for three hours. And it's, it requires more of a leap of faith. It requires almost new tools to enjoy it and really kind of zone out, you mm -hmm. know, maybe edible helped if those had existed in the, <laughs> the jazz age uh, but you know i think i really I, I think more about brecht um now obviously he's a political artist but it's like i think there's something to that with ttrbgs too where you know the audience is going to know how to kill some goblins and grab their gold and they now i think more and more especially younger players want theater of the mind it's narrative rich but when but you know there's lots of other things you could do too um war games have a resurgence also i don't participate in it but like tabletop war games are huge yeah um and then what where it's like really about you know political economy and like what what can you do uh with that and how can you kind of explore politics through games um in the, you know and again draw, you know drawing parallels with spire and other games that do this I, I even back to like apocalypse world again like how do you recreate communities and 
in a non-utopian silly way, but but in a way that's interesting to other adults um, in that RPG environment. I, I think most people are going to get it because you can give them handholds from slaying goblins, but it's really not about slaying goblins. So there's some sleight of hand with like getting people into the theater in this metaphor, you know, to, to see the show. <laughs> and then bam, you know, um, you know, Joan of Arc, yeah, whatever. in terms of that's interesting, like in terms of illustration for these, I feel like there's an interesting tension point um, because, you know, with that idea that like things, things can become more stripped down and more theater of the mind. Um, there is still this impetus for illustration to, to do this work of like, it has to be handsome and sumptuous, like, because it is like, it is the one bit of handholding of like, here is, here's like, now you get a vibe, you get an actual like moment in time. Like you're, you're seeing people doing the thing in a place. And like, I, I, on one hand, don't want to abandon that because that's such a rich like area for artistry. And at the same time, like stripping that down just to the diagrammatic doesn't feel satisfying either. It's like, I think that there's this point for some interesting play and tension between, between the idea and the like sort of like, it's not really neuroscience, but like the left braininess of something, you know, versus like the full, the full rendered, Wizards of the Coast, you know, Magic the Gathering, like painterly card that took 70 hours to draw. Like, I feel like there is so much play and there's such a rich history of illustration of like trying to find different ways of of interpreting and showing like what's happening while also like doing a little handholding, but, you know, not necessarily just being that same painterly effect every single time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Are there um, are there particular illustrators or, or painters or a- anything really that that has influenced the work that you've done for Stillfleet and now that you're working on for Sometimes Kingdom? Um, yeah, unfortunately, my memory does not work in a way that I could say them off the top of my head, but fine, I will same. definitely furnish a list. <laughs> uh, <laughs> to answer your question, yes. Yes. <laughs> If, if we could beg you to do some uh, some homework, that would be cool to have a list. I would I would be happy to do some homework and the, the, the next time I'm on. Or yeah, totally. I've got a. I mean, honestly, I've got a very long laundry list. Nice. And I feel like everybody should know about these illustrators. Some of them are historical. Lots of them are contemporary, and I want people to go buy their shit. So very cool. Yeah, we'll we'll put that in the show yeah. notes for sure. Um, well, I guess too a part yeah. of the a part of what I was asking with that question as well is like how how often are you looking at the illustrations of other RPGs versus any anything else really like whether it's classical painting whether it's uh, movie poster art anything like that. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. I would say I I am more rarely looking at I feel like at the beginning of the project is when I start like I do this really big push of of. And I'm and I'm trying to do more now. Now that we've got like such a large library of of game stuff to peruse, and there's every 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 month there's more and more game stores like even in the city. Um, it's something that I want to start learning more about. Um, I would say at the beginning of a of a game project, I wind up absorbing a lot or like studying like the work from other other game like books, um, just to sort of see what the lay of the land has been in quotes historically, you know, past fifty years or whatever. Um, and then also contemporaneously, I would say most of the time I am looking at art that is outside of the game space, mostly because I'm always trying to sort of see stuff fresh um, and like, you know, sort of try and pull things in from the media landscape like that aren't necessarily in games. Right. Yeah. And I, and I find it, Chris, I don't know what your habits are. I mean, I, I consume so many of these games almost almost exclusively as PDFs. I did buy a bunch of stuff at Gen Con because you know, it was there. 
But um, but I'm a big e-reader uh, for a number of reasons, mostly money, also environmental, and also like so much stuff is interesting for one page out of a hundred. No offense to the you know, but it's like I don't really need it around ever. Um, but it's it's great to have the PDF and be able to look at it. But it's it's almost like um, at least with writing and design, after it becomes a wash. And and to what Ethan's saying, like it can be interesting to like. Like I realized that most of my inspirations aren't really from other game designers as such. They're from actual science and other forms of art and um, and, and science fiction. Um, and and really, I mean, mostly these days, like just political, like political news, political podcasts. Like that's most of like ninety percent of what I spend my time consuming, like for by choice. So it makes sense, Ethan, that you're looking at stuff or playing video games or whatever that's not about ttrpgs but then when you go to do ttrpgs your brain is loaded with with that like you you've already done a lot of heuristic like you know you refined stuff for some reason in your brain the way you want it and then bam you apply that um, yeah i would say if there's one if there's one sort of bridge between those two that i'm always thinking about and it's like it's so funny because i feel like artistically it's the thing that goes all the way back to like my earliest memories of like picking up a crayon or whatever like i love items I love the idea of <laughs> items. I love the envelope of what an item is, what an item isn't. I have, like, the only reason I know anything about tabletop games before starting to work on Stillfleet, aside from playing a, a little bit of tracking game in the late 90s, um, was, like, reading ancillary media, B-series mm. and things, on the search for pictures of more items. I really, <laughs> like, there's <laughs> there's something, there's something ab about, because an item is an object, but it's not just an object. It's got, like, a, like an item is such a weird name. And like it has like depending on like what kind of like legal or like historical framework it actually has like real like it has real world importance in yeah. terms of like law and trade and all these things. But in games specifically, it has this very specific meaning, um, and I just love them so much. Um, so that's something that like I will always be looking at and always be looking at other other games because I just I I constantly run out of. Like, oh man, I've seen all the items. I need to find out more items. <laughs> see more items. So I gotta go look at books that are games so that I can see the game items. Yeah, I I feel you on that. I I do the same thing. I'm usually less interested in <laughs> I'm usually less interested in character illustrations in, in in RPG books specifically. I'm like character illustrations are great. I love it. I love seeing people do the thing, but I always want to see the stuff. Um <laughs> and there's such a funny, you know, like, I don't know, from a Marxist perspective, it's so funny, like, there's, there's this extra value that's added to a thing in a game, it's like extra use value, um, outside of just like its use or its trade value. Um, so I, I don't know if that makes it like a, a trialectic or something like that. But yeah, there, there is this extra weight that is infused into items, especially when you're thinking about tabletop role playing games or video games or anything like that, really. Um, any yeah. similar media um, that, yeah, there's there's a deep appeal to that that I, I also lavish in probably more than I should sometimes. <laughs> yeah, there's something fun like like games like Minecraft really break it down to its elements about, mm. and with like crafting and raw, you know, the alchemy of, of some raw material being transformed into utility. But I actually think with TTRPGs, you often see the opposite in a fun way now. With um, I'm thinking like Songbirds. Um, mm. Or like some the the body tables and gradient descent, 
where you know you're finding it's like your character could be equipped with like a big spoon and it's it's almost like the opposite of like gaining utility as you go it's like there, there's something about being lost and i think it's it's because of postmodernity. you know it's because of the great acceleration we live awash with items everything like is this pen an item that should right it's not just like it has a dollar value <laughs> but it has special like it's it's filling an equipment spot on wife marshall's like body um and and that gives it this like real kind of um it becomes fetishized right it has this extra sheen this extra um but but i think uh with with the osr you have more games that are like fucking with that um and and i think that's a lot of fun from a writing perspective and ethan i, I take it from a drawing perspective like when we did the cards of like yeah right. we'll prove useful architect so our games <laughs> this is i i mean i love i love how the 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 role that architect plays in in still fleet because it's like this could this could it's on the onus is on the player to find a use for this it is a hundred million years of infinite garbage uh, and some of and it is it is being traded because it like either somebody who has got like untoward you know feelings or motives like wants you to get it no reason just please bring this back to the company just can we have it like we're we're gonna take it we'll give you a small amount of money for it we're not gonna do anything with it don't worry about it um, you know versus like oh it's legitimately actually garbage uh, <laughs> um, I well and like, they don't know the the indeterminacy is both at the level of utility for the character but also the the evil company or anyone the, the in another game like just the merchant buying it it's like it's kind of a determinant whether that thing there's so much stuff in our world and i think these games unlike real so this this i guess could it could, could distinguish games this way real mm. medievalist game there'd be very few items it'd be like yes. your items are like stick mud like it's really hard <laughs> useful stuff but most of the games like the dragon game on and all the games i've created they're full of items they're washed with items they're fun but that doesn't reflect some reality like that that reflects us right that's a that's a comment on us in 2023 you know mm-hmm. um <laughs> yeah something that's been on my mind a lot doing doing sometimes kingdom is like what is the difference between a magical and a non-magical item like at the at the level of the rules and a non-magical item is an item that doesn't have like spell mechanics attached to it but like beyond that like okay well world building wise how do they perceive the difference between them is everything saturated with magic no like what makes something special then like if everything like potentially has a spell or a curse on it like how do they exchange goods what is the like how do they feel about objects in space mm-hmm. um and so like that's the stuff that i can never stop thinking about like i think that like a lot of the media that we consumed growing up you know didn't I mean, obviously it's like, it's, it's fun entertainment for children. That's been done by like a commercial company after Reagan, like rolled back a bunch of like protection laws. So you can make toy, you know, shows. So it's like that level of care. I can't really say was imbued most of the time, but like, if you're a kid and you like reading and you're watching this stuff and like outside of like literature, it's like, I can't stop thinking about like, well, that video game said that one thing. Like mm-hmm. what? What? Like, <laughs> or there's like an offhand comment in like a really dumb sh- show for like six year olds, and it's just like I spent thirty years being like, what did they mean by that? Like, what are the ramifications of a world where that's true? <laughs> <laughs> oh man! And so now there's like this chance to like really drill in and get that. Like, oh yeah, you know the seasons are places. Magic is real. Like, oh god, what are their what are their trading laws like? Who cares? Mm-hmm. I care. Presumably the players playing this game will hopefully care too. It's a very particular kind of nerd. And it's like, and it makes me very happy that there's more than three people out there who are interested in that level of like reality. Yeah. Um, because that's about, lear- that's about learning about life on earth, which is complicated and weird and annoying. Um, 
but like has right. that level of specificity for everything all the time. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot, uh, you know, for fantasy and medievalism and stuff like that, uh, thinking a lot about political economy in a medieval period where it's like, you know, in, in my game, money is very, actual money is very rare. You don't find mm. Donier silver pennies, basically, um, denarius whatever you want to call them you, you don't find them that often because it's just not it's around but it's not really mm. accessible to most people and so there's a big emphasis on actually trading for goods of an equivalent value mm. instead of you know using gold pieces to buy items and things like that so you know like i, I don't know it, it's it's a way of trying to think about the value of an item while while keeping things feeling historically somewhat accurate. Um, but there is, there's a level of translation that has to happen there that can be a little bit complicated. Yeah. The history of money is so interesting. And also with like, I mean, the, the acquisition of, of relics and, and I love accumulating treasure in any game just cause it's, yeah. it's a fun brain squirt, but like trying to, <laughs> trying to create like an economy or like those sort of mechanics in a game that is non-colonialist um is you know it's honestly it's not it's a challenge in the sense that it's exciting to try and put something in place like it is the the fantasy of a fantasy world where it's like oh great you just you know harrowed that tomb and you found all that treasure like did you ask the necropolis if it was theirs originally like the skeletons who you've been fighting like actually like you know unalive there like or (laughs) you know there is a you know there's a chamber of of commerce you have to turn treasure into like hey congratulations we're going to give you some money for what you found but Mm -hmm. that literally belongs to us because we've been living here for like three thousand years so thanks for the good works um if you don't you're going to be hounded by the authorities for a very long time so (laughs) yeah it's it's stuff like that that like i always get like kind of squigged out when like players of these games with long standing are just like that's just like that's too much work or that's too, that's too dumb. That's like not the thing. So it's right. like, no, this is, this is more interesting. Like... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's always been There's... my point is like, if you do it right, if you find the right narrative structure, these themes are clearly more interesting than just going and bashing goblins in the face because that just, I mean, that, you know, it just put to me like that, that stuff puts you to sleep after five minutes as an adult. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just think uh, video games do it so much better also. I think that that debate, it just feels over. Um, and and I think it's really interesting all the ways because there's more than one way. And I think Stillfleet is a very specific way in the way that Spire is. And to, you know, in terms of less specific ways, they, those are both generally an idea of, you know, subversion and complicity. But then there's all these other ways. So I think Ethan's game gets it almost like... Um, it's almost like a childlike thing of like, well, what, just, what if there was no colonialism? Like there's this magical place where that just never happened per se um, because of maybe magic. Uh, and so it's not that no one has any problems. It's just that power structures aren't, aren't the same. They're not mirroring the real world in that way. So it's, it's not exploring that in the way that still fleets exploring, you know, life in 2023 and we're setting it for our future. So that we have some, uh, you know, Oh, parody, 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 you know, space. Um, but another game that our, our editor, our, our longtime collaborator, Stephen Aubrey, our, our friend is working on is about, you know, what if you're in historical Western Europe? So that's another conversation we should have, Chris. Uh, but you're the Dukes of Burgundy want to do it differently. And like, could Europe have gone down any other path? You know, is there mm-hmm. any way where the 
to have a, a state that isn't evil emerge out of that world. Um, mm. And I don't know, I don't, you know, it's, it's very incipient, but it's, it's an interesting provocation about like a historical game. There's no magic um, that tries to specifically explore those what ifs. And is there any way to do it that doesn't just sort of come to the conclusion? Nope. They were all just you know <laughs> horrible or like, I don't know. What does it take? Like, uh, yeah, and yeah. I, I, we haven't, you know, it's just anyway. So it's your game again also, I think is, is, it's sort of, um, it's like the zombie apocalypse thing, right? The zombie apocalypse happens and that gets rid of some of the tensions within capitalism because, well, there's zombies everywhere. So yeah, you, know, you, got, you got stuff to worry about. But. You got bigger problems on your plate. Um, yeah. yeah. And I mean, that's actually, you know, I was, I actually, I was talking to Steven this past weekend about why it, why Dance Macabre is set where and when it's set. And for me, uh, something that, uh, Barbara Tuchman, it's in the 14th century, right? It's something that Barbara Tuchman talks about a lot in her book, A Distant Mirror, which is a fantastic history book. I've talked about it before. I'm going to talk about it again because I love it. Um, but something that she talks about a lot is that by the middle of the 14th century, you begin to see the kind of like sprouts of modernity. You see the sprouts of capitalism starting to form individual thought, individual philosophy, things like that, especially after the Black Plague ran through Europe, uh, you start having, you know, like the jacqueries, the labor uprisings in cities and, and all this kind of stuff. Um, and so it, it is interesting to be like, okay, well, what if we hit pause on that process in that moment and just threw everything out of the window, what would the world end up looking like from there? Um, which, yeah, I mean, I'd be interested in talking to Stephen more about that as well, for sure. Yeah, and I, and I think and I think all these games there's there's that aspect. There's also like I want to draw cool stuff, or I want to oh, make yeah. a bunch of items, oh, or yeah. I want to write a bunch of mutations. Or, <laughs> so it's like it's it's also in conversation with those other urges and and market realities of like mm -hmm. what, what could be interesting as a book that people would actually play. What do playtesters like? Um, but it's just as one thing that I think now we can articulate, um, and and obviously with this podcast, you know, we can spend a bunch of time on. Yeah. Um, speaking yeah. of time. It's like 4.30. Ethan, do you want to... Is there stuff that we should talk about that we've not brought up? Um, that's a very interesting question. Um, <laughs> I have not a thought in my head. So if, <laughs> if, there's, any, <laughs> if there's any extant questions, um, I, I'm happy to uh, answer it. Or like Chris, I mean, same question to you, but I'm just you know curious about... Um, uh, yeah, I mean, illustration was one of the primary reasons we brought you on, even though it's an audio format, so you can imagine it's Ethan's art. Uh... Imagine, in the theater <laughs> of the mind, it's the best drawing you've ever seen, and I, Ethan Gould, did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, could you could you uh, do some ASMR explanation of one of your favorite illustrations for us? Can you just uh, audibly? <laughs> uh, yeah, so, so you're, looking, you're looking at a bipedal robot. Uh, it's rendered in graphite. It's got spindly legs, but not so spindly that it's off-putting. More like, what a jaunty little creature that is. And it has tubes coming out of it, because tubes are what make the things move. This is great. And, see, <laughs> and then, you know, four hours later. Wow. You could do a whole podcast of just that. <laughs> yeah, that's compelling. <laughs> I, honestly, it would give my wrist a break. So that sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> That's wow, fantastic. It's time for non-drawing, drawing theater. <laughs> <laughs> well, should we let uh, should we let 
Ethan go and um, Ethan will have to have you back on, especially when, as the Sometime Kingdom develops, which I know you, you and I should, uh, well, we'll meet about on Thursday. Um, and yeah, it's really just interesting. I just wanted to sort of bring everyone in the same room because um, yeah, Ethan and I speak fun. about this stuff so much. And now Chris and I have also been, you know, just wandering across this whole world of RPGs. <laughs> and like, uh, what, wherefore? Um, so yeah, thanks a lot for making so much time. And, and, uh, and yeah, we'll um, have to link to things you want people to see. Obviously, Stillfleet, I can cover, but um, please let us know, you know, additional where projects as you. well. Yeah. yeah, this yeah was, thanks for having about. me on. This was a, this was a hoot. Um, where, where, yeah, uh, where okay. can people find you? Um, uh, people can find me um, at Spectral House on all social media. Nice. Easy. Cool. Um, so Ethan Goldini at Spectral House, uh, amazing artist in general, uh, and, you know, has been specifically illustrating and co-authoring some DTRPGs with me. And uh, in the near future, I'm sure we will all be working together. Um, Chris, any final thoughts for, for this one? Uh, no, I, I'm, I'm also thoughtless after this very good conversation. <laughs> Just bereft of words. Just, yeah. Um, <laughs> to, to find a final thought, and this is a whole other three hour conversation. If you're listening oh. to this, um, and you like drawing and you like art, just pick up a pencil. It's the cheapest kind of entertainment that there is. Just keep at it. Uh, never criticize yourself. Just keep making and making and making and making and don't use AI because it will blow up in your face. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Good point. Excellent. Um, Excellent yeah. Advice. Would you say Chris, you're, you're, uh, you're, you're human made as well, right? You're not doing any AI I, stuff. I am 100% human made. Uh, no, I don't, I don't engage with the AI art stuff. It gives me the creeps. Um, you know, whatever I, the ethics of it, all of that it's, it's, it's not for me. I'm not into it. Um, I, I will say I am digital only these days, but Ethan, after uh, hearing you talk about sketchbooks, it does make me want to get back into a sketchbook pretty badly. Yeah, I'm 90% digital at these points, but I tell you, that 10% Oof. clears out the cobwebs. <laughs> yeah, I, I also go back and forth, um, again, more more from a writing and, and uh, speculative cartography Um perspective but i but i try to write on the computer because it saves me so much time i'm still typing mm -hmm. up i wrote a whole book in a notebook by hand and was so proud of myself and now i have to type it up and uh it's great for editing it's it works really well except that it just it takes like 15 times longer so mm -hmm. um but yeah I, I love that advice ethan i really love that advice uh beyond ai which yes uh, fuck ai but but just, just to get my get dicks in <laughs> yeah no but if you want to draw just draw right and don't just don't draw. beat just yourself up thing. just have fun yeah yeah um and any advice for RPGs specifically while we're at it? Yeah, my advice for RPGs specifically is um, if, you've, if you've played them at all, um, while you read and while you play them and you'd like to draw stuff from RPGs or you'd like to do that sort of work, um, pay attention to how you're feeling when you do very particular things. Um, how, like it's when we think about crunch and fluff being so di like uh, different from each other, but really crunch gives you feelings also mm -hmm. feel like think about the things that are feeling and then like start to think about how would you convey that feeling in art <laughs> <laughs> that is uh <laughs> i'm laughing a lot because of that last note but that is, that is very good <laughs> advice very solid yeah. 
Uh, and anytime, anytime y'all start uh, talking about speculative cartography again, uh, I'm in. I'm in that conversation. I was. I was gonna awesome. say that's got to be an episode <laughs> unto itself. Yeah. Um, man. Yeah. I think one thing that binds all RPG nerds together is a love of maps, like a deep, abiding yeah, yeah. love of map making and map reading. Which I don't know what that says about us as a community, but I'm I'm into it. I'm here for it. Yeah, and um. I also think that's again thinking of the the evil my evil business hat uh, trying to make <laughs> make a small business, business work, um, but you know we have, we have all these friends we've been lucky to make in the speculative cartography world who you know are really generating a lot of great content, um, mostly consumed by by five E you know D and D players, but they all are are smart and and look at all kinds of source material and play different kinds of games and it would be interesting to kind of pick their brains um, coming from the other direction because I think Chris you and I and now. Ethan, I mean, we're coming from that more OSR, like zine, uh, you know, world. Yeah. Um, but, you know, some of the people doing really great work today um, are doing very slick stuff for people who are 99% are using them in D&D campaigns of some kind, but um, uh, which is just not how, and we've talked about it. And, and I think we've agreed on our team, we just don't even want to compete with like the battle maps. Like we just don't really do that. Right. Um, so I do all our regional maps because uh, I think it's fun, really. It's just a relaxing thing for me. Um and then, you know, Ethan does the other art. And I, and I think it's just interesting to think about the people who are doing those, like that whole VTT world, which we're now stepping into uh, since Stillfleet will be on Alchemy. But but yeah, that is another conversation for the other day. Spec of cartography, battle maps, those are great topics. Um, we should definitely have more Ooh. about the Sometimes Kingdom. Yeah. We should have some sort of like, we should really do a panel at a con about like medieval games, yeah. like actual historical stuff. Yeah. Just saying. Good. I would love that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, that's all to say. Thanks for joining us, Ethan. And, um, uh, yeah, can't wait to talk more. Uh, so I'm going to stop broadcasting today, but we'll be back. Chris, are we doing this every week? Should we say that? Not that, you know, just when people tune in. Yeah. Yeah. Let's say that we're, we're going to be recording every okay. week and hopefully releasing on a weekly basis as well. Coming up. Yeah. yeah starting soon. That. Yeah. So uh, every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern, um, we'll be live on Twitch, and later we'll put up uh, podcast versions and VODs on uh, the YouTubes. Uh, and if you design games and you want to talk to us about designing games, uh, specifically TTRPGs, um, you know, hit us up. Mm -hmm. uh, all right. I'm going to stop broadcasting this. All right. Thanks, Cheers. Ethan. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, Ethan. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Why We Roll. Our theme music is by the brilliant Sam Tyndall and Arpline. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on Twitch and what used to be Twitter at Why We Roll, and on Instagram at whyweroll.pod. You can find out more about Dance Macabre at timespaceplace.itch.io slash dance dash macabre. You can find out more about Stillfleet at stillfleet.com. Thanks for listening.